0: paved with gold, lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the king. But the thought of you, I went wondering.
1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I am standing here with some tremendous, faithful Christian youth uh, from south of here, the Orem, Utah area. It's great to have them. We have here, Tina, she is 15 years old. We have Marissa, she's 12 years old. And we have Devin from, uh, he's 15 years old. They're all from Orem, however, Devin and his sister also come by way of Arkansas. And Devin has a preference for Romania, certain parts of Romania, from what I understand. But the thing that's great about this guy right here and his and his sister and cousin is uh, he loves the Lord. In fact, he has a message for the entire audience. He's going to say it loudly. Go for it, brother.
2: I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness
1: comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Galatians 2.21. Hey. Oh, sorry. And wait, there's another part to that. Ready? And we, and we agree. entirely agree now see she added to the the, she added this is what happens when the older ones get a little light she probably will start doing a little dance to it and we entirely agree there we go we entirely. hey you know praise god that you have committed that because what he's saying to you is hey if righteousness comes by the law you know you guys by the law christ died in vain can you believe that passage great one thanks for being on the show you guys All right, Heart of the Matter can be seen here, uh, of course, on live television and through streaming video at www.hotm.tv. Check it out. Uh, You can also see many excerpts of the show on YouTube. We want to thank Andreas in Norway, who years ago decided to put these clips on himself. There's several hundred, 600, 700 now. Wherever you're watching from, we welcome you on Sunday afternoons from 1 to 2 p.m. AM 820, The Truth. Rebroadcast, Heart of the Matter, so check that out. If you're in need of auto repairs, we've got the place, Affordable Automotive. Their uh, number's on the screen. They're located on 9th East here in Salt Lake City. There's an excellent video out there. uh, Anyone and everyone should check out. It's uh, called uh, uh, A Mormon President. And we're going to start uh, showing you uh, that video, uh, pushing it to you, because it is excellent. It's well done. I forgot a copy tonight, but starting next week, we'll continue to do it. Suggest you check that out before 2012. We're in the business of not just helping people see the deception of Mormonism, but also helping them see the solution, which is Jesus... Christ, Jesus Christ alone. Uh, to assist us in this effort, we've established Alethea Ambassadors. These are people who have for the most part, come out of Mormonism, have come into a full relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they attend a Christian church now, and they live somewhere in the United States, and so if you're watching the show and you're thinking of, hey, I want to get out of Mormonism, is there somebody in my area that I can relate to who has done this before me, we, you email us, sean and then we put you in contact with them. So we're going to give you a list, we do it once a month, of our Aletheia Ambassadors, here they are
2: into your world
1: We get new people who represent uh, Alathea uh, Ministries, and all that means is they don't represent me or, or our our ministry per se. What they represent is the gospel of Jesus Christ for people who are coming out of Mormonism or have questions about how that happens and what it actually means. So don't be shy if you also want to be a, a represent. I mean, a, excuse me, an ambassador. We change the name. Uh, email us at the email on the screen, sean at alathiamedia.com and we'll do it. Now, listen, we have a copy of that uh, DVD. It's right here, and it's a Mormon president. Uh, we're going to make it available to you in the coming weeks. Joseph Smith and the Mormon Quest for the White House. That guy in the cover, That what they do is they, they do a kind of a play uh, not a play, they do a film that actually shows what it was like, what Joseph Smith was like in his quest for the presidency, and then they interview a lot of LDS people. Uh, Bushman and his wife are on, on uh, this DVD, uh, who's LDS. It's called, wrote, uh, Rough Stone Rolling. Uh, I'm in this uh, thing. That's why I'm promoting it, of course. No, just kidding. But it is excellent, and and so uh, check this out, and we'll let you know uh, where you can get it in the weeks to come. Uh, Okay, uh, many are, are, of you are aware that last Sunday we launched a church of a different kind. In essence, it's a minimalist approach to organized Christianity, at least relative to modern-day Christian applications, uh, and... Uh, so, for those who are looking to grow in Christ in that way, a very trimmed down way, you can check that out. When do we meet? Every Sunday at the University of Utah for uh, 10 a.m. and then again at 2.30, Child care is provided. For more information, you can go to www.campus with hyphens in between.com. Uh, now, listen, having said this, Campus is not for everyone, that's for sure. Uh, There are plenty of good Christian churches out there to attend. Let me uh, share a few that Aletheia Ministries recommends. So we're going to run that for you right now. All right, and uh, speaking of churches, last Sunday, um, Dr. Norman Geisler, foremost living expert on the reliability of the Bible, spoke at uh, Grace Community Bible Church. You can get his PowerPoint presentations on his worship service, on the question, can we trust the Bible, and are there errors in the Bible? These are excellent topics. Uh, that he addresses and he is an expert and uh, so you can go to www.mygrace.us www.mygrace.us and you can uh, get those PowerPoint presentations that Dr. Norman Geisler presented. We highly recommend that you do that. It's a great thing that uh, Grace Community Bible Church uh, had him speak and uh, it's available to you for free to go and get those PowerPoint presentations to help you explain how the Bible is uh, Uh, trustworthy, I talked to somebody who went, Merle, our director actually, and said, hey, what did he, how did he answer, are there errors in the Bible? And he said, uh, he he started off and said in his presentation, yeah, we started off with about 200 when he was younger and whittled them down to now there is about five and those all in, in time, those will have answers. Everything have reliable, responsible answers in terms of errors. So essentially his answer was no, there are not Check out his PowerPoint presentation at that email, uh, at that uh, website address. Okay, how about a moment from the Word? In many ways, the LDS agree with the Christian church, a Christian body of believers. Uh, when it comes to Jesus Christ's passion. From the time he leaves the Garden of Gethsemane all the way to the time that he uh, gives his last breath, Pretty much the LDS agree with the events as the Bible lays them out. Last week, we pointed out that the LDS, however, do believe that the atonement for sin occurred in Gethsemane, while physical death and the demands of physical death occurred for Jesus on the cross, and that it was in Gethsemane that uh, the uh, suffering for sin occurred, and of course, Christians absolutely uh, differ with that. But this week, let's move into chapter 27 of Matthew, uh, where Jesus is about to die, and we're going to read verse 45 and 46 it says now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour and about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying Eli Eli lama sabbatani and that is to say my God my God why hast thou forsaken me those two verses there. there is uh, an important difference in the Mormon Christian debate something to point out we've mentioned before uh, but one way Joseph Smith made his his Mormon movement popular back in the day was by trumping almost everything that the Bible represents. If the Bible said Jonah lived in a whale for three days, Joseph Smith put a story in the Book of Mormon where a whole group of people jumped into animal skin submarines and went underwater across from the old world to the Americas. And where the Bible mentions that John the Beloved might not have to die, which is an error in interpretation, we know he did die, Joseph created three fictional Nephites in his Book of Mormon that are still alive today, according to Mormon fol- folklore, running about and doing duties for people here on this earth. And where the Bible speaks of only one temple location, Mount Moriah, uh, the only spot for a temple, uh, Joseph, of course, And the Mormonism today pops temples up wherever they want, and they instead of doing what the temples were doing back in the day with the children of Israel, Mormonism does a regurgitation of Masonic rituals and rites. So, what is the besting thing that goes on with these passages? There is a prophecy in the Book of Mormon. Helaman 1427, and it says this about Christ's crucifixion. Now remember the Bible passages we just read said there, would be darkness, there was darkness on the face of the earth for, and it was a space of three hours. This is what the Book of Mormon says uh, about Christ's crucifixion. Darkness should cover the face of the whole earth for a space of three days. Bible, three hours. Book of Mormon, three days. Everything Joseph Smith brought forward was a trumping of what Christianity believes. So where there was three hours in uh, the Bible, Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon, three whole days. Um, Now, to defend this discrepancy between the three hours the Bible says in the three days of the Book of Mormon, LDS Apostle B.H. Roberts says, well, in later chapters in the Book of Mormon, when this prophecy was fulfilled, it says that there, there would be three days of darkness over the face of the land. Okay, meaning the land of the Book of Mormon. And so in their Mormonicious manner, apologists and defenders of Mormonism say, over the land, there was three whole days of darkness of the Americas when Jesus died. But in Jerusalem, there was only three hours of darkness. Um, uh, The problem with this ridiculous explanation, however, is that These earlier prophecies in the Book of Mormon state that darkness would exist over the whole world and there's no way to get around it. My friend Joel Kramer, uh, he makes a great observation. He said something to the effect that Mormonism and its apologists and its defenders gets people spending their time on points like I'm talking about tonight and taking their eyes off the real issues. The whole thing is a big fat deception. It doesn't even belong in the same ring or category with Christianity because it is completely different. It's like likening the crew to the Titanic, uh, polishing the brass on the deck while the thing is tilting and heading toward the bottom of the ocean. Don't major in the minors, folks, when it comes to discussion with the LDS. Don't let them get you all wrapped up in the little uh, minutia topics because what it does is it sounds like you're disvalidating uh, the religion as a whole, but you have minor discrepancies. Stay on the main topics uh, that this is another gospel uh, than what is presented in the New Testament. All right, so the LDS had their semi-annual general conference last week. How can I tell? Because traffic downtown, the feel of October in the air, and by our emails. Um, This is what happens. Here's the pattern. We've done it six years now. People watch our program over the course of a few months or six months or so, and they are given information based on facts, and they begin to wonder about the church, And uh, they begin to question it. And they actually start to think and assess. They might even begin to doubt the church. And this is a very painful process. Uh, Then General Conference pops up. And these very same people, fearing the fact that they could have been wrong their whole life, they actually uh, go to, they attend the General Conference or they watch it on TV. And in doing so, they're filled with reinvigorated hope that the church is true, uh, perpetuated by the myths that they hear from the men standing in these ornate Uh, conference center, the music and the choir, the pomp, the sing song, mesmerizing speeches, the unity, the luxury, the corporate refinements and the portraits of authority standing up there and saying things that are so profoundly powerful. It just, it just influences the belief. This is the true church and all reason and logic and doubts they were entertaining from watching us flee and after waiting through you know, discomfort and uncertainty watching our show and the kind of heaviness that comes from facts when you've been living a lie your whole life, uh, they, are, they are again filled with certainty and some semblance of security uh, by this feel good experience of General Conference. So they go home, this all leads up to this, they go home and now they decide to email us and they come at me and they say, Sean, I just got back from General Conference, and the feeling was so good compared to what feeling I get when I watch your program. Or, Sean, I have decided that you are the devil. Uh, We are led by a living prophet who loves us and his apostles, and you are, they're good and accomplished men, and you just pick on the truth. And in other words, Sean, bad, Mormonism, good, thinking stop and I'm sold back into the whole package that I have been buying into for years and years and I feel better. You see, these opinions last for a while and now they've rededicated themselves to going back to the church. So they put on their suit and tie or their dress and they go sit in the thing and they start to die again. They start to realize what is this thing that I am listening to? What? Why don't why doesn't anybody really praise Jesus? Talk about him as being the only source of self. Why does this stuff not go on? How come I feel like I'm in a corporate business meeting again, surrounded by good people who are trying to know God, working, working, working to please God, to try to measure up to their neighbors, to be worthy to attend the temple, to obey the Sabbath day, to pay the 10%, to do, to do, to get their kids on missions. How come, you know, and so the whole pressure starts coming on again. And then uh, on some lonely Tuesday night, they tune back in and they start to then question again until the next general conference. I don't blame these poor people uh, for being misled. Mormonism is a powerful marketing machine, powerful. And it makes powerful claims on the cover of the Salt Lake Trib. You can't see this. I'm just showing you that I, I have it. An apost- it says, Apostle, colon, we are Christ's church, period. And, an article by Peggy Fletcher Stack, the religious editor of the, of the uh, Salt Lake Tribune. Um, that is a powerful claim spoken from an ornate pulpit uh, in a splendorific building by a respected man who calls himself... An apostle and it's tough to resist but my friends it's a lie it is a lie and uh, that man who calls himself the Lord's Apostle is a lying man Um, how can a loser like myself stand here and say someone who has lived such a decent life and is so respectable how could he be a lying man because the Bible calls his claims lies and deceptions from the mouths of false prophets. The Bible says the church is made up of believers. Here and there, different places, different churches, different lands, different cultures, even some different religions, there are believers who belong to the body of Christ. It is not in a brick and mortar building. It is not in an institution, and it never has been since the ascension of Christ and the, and the Holy Spirit fell. It is in individual believers who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The Mormon church has said, no, it's a brick and mortar building. It fell down on earth, and this is what the true church is, and it's alive from the beginning. And the the Bible is clear. We have no high priests here. We have Jesus as our high priest. The Mormons bring in a high priest. They bring in a priesthood. They bring in rites and rituals. They bring in observances of days, which the New Testament talks all against, just to please God. And their exaltation is based on their pleasing God through their merits and efforts to be exalted to Godhood. It is a lie from the get-go. Perhaps the best summary I can give in this comes from... Um, something Janice C. sent in an email, and it's a quote from A.A. Hodge. This is what it says. It's on the screen. A church has no right to make anything a condition of membership which Christ has not made a condition of salvation. Let me read that to you again. A church has no right to make anything a condition of membership which Christ has not made a condition of salvation. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we need you uh, as we talk about these things. I need you as I am a man impassioned at times. We pray for our audience, our volunteers, uh, wherever they are, people seeking for truth. Help us to get through the message according to your will and ways, in Jesus' name, amen. All across the world, LDS missionaries are sitting down with people and telling them the story of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. Uh, the LDS Church uh has They're in sign, and the whole thing is dedicated to this Book of Mormon. I mean, it's thick. I'm going to try to go through it so we can cover it at a later date. They know. They have to defend it. They bring up all kinds of things in there, and I can't wait to see what arguments they're coming up with. The missionaries say that on the evening of September 21st, 1823, Joseph Smith was peaceably slumbering in his room when an angel of light appeared to him. In Mormonism, this angel is known as Moroni, and there's a golden graven image of Moroni, facing east and blowing a golden trumpet uh, on every Mormon temple. What the missionaries don't tell people, because they probably don't know, is what Joseph had been doing all night before this visitation and uh, crawling into bed. Now, we have talked about the influence of occultic practices within the Joseph Smith uh, Sr. and Joseph Smith Jr. family. Uh, the night when the angel of light supposedly appeared to Joseph Smith was a night of great significance relative to occult practices. See, September 21st was the autumnal equinox, a night very important to money diggers, that's what Joseph Smith and his father were convicted, His Joseph Smith was convicted of in a court of law, money digging, that is pretending to see buried money under the earth, he did it by looking at a stone in a hat, getting guys who would go and dig and he'd say it's here, it's here. Well, the autumnal equinox, September 21st, the night the, the Angel Moroni visited Joseph Smith supposedly, was a very important night to money diggers and people in the practice of the occult because it was the night when the heavens would open and, and heavenly beings would uh, tell people on earth where buried gold was hidden. This is proven in, uh, in D. Michael Quinn's book uh, Early Mormonism and the Magic World View. Um Martin Harris who helped Joseph Smith finance and translate the Book of Mormon is quoted as having told a Palmyra minister that Joseph had acted as a seer for a local treasure hunt that evening when the Angel Moroni came to him but as usual he came home empty-handed. Joseph Smith's mother Lucy recorded that on this special night the family had stayed up late into the evening talking about different churches And that Joseph, quote, seemed withdrawn or in a deep contemplation as the family talked. When Joseph retired to his bed, he prayed, he says, to either know what church was true, the one record says he said that, or for his father's conversion to the truth or for God's forgiveness of his sins or for family reconciliation or for the heaven to open up and show him where he could find gold. We aren't sure what he was praying for because we have different accounts. But whatever happened, Joseph would later claim that his mind was preoccupied uh, with thoughts of his own personal worthiness and that he desired a manifestation of God to help him understand his worthiness before him. This is official about what Joseph went and was praying for, unlike what the LDS missionaries tell people. In the midst of these thoughts, Joseph said this angel appeared at his bedside, declared that his sins were forgiven him, quote, and that God had a special work for him to perform. The missionaries leave this out as well. The angel told Joseph about a history of ancient inhabitants in America that was written on golden plates and buried in a hill nearby his home. Remember the Prior um, visit of the angel Moroni, Joseph Smith had spent time and would continue to spend time digging for treasure for gold left behind by ancient inhabitants. So his father and him had spent a number of years searching for gold from treasures left behind of ancient inhabitants. And on this special night, years later, 1823, Joseph Smith, 17 years old, an angel appears to him and tells him there's a record written on gold, written by uh, peoples from an ancient uh, world. So to me at least, it's no surprise that this is what the angel told Joseph. All of his treasure-seeking buddies, uh, they... They knew that he was on to these seeking things, and for him to come up with a book written on gold related to him by a spirit, which later became an angel, that would have been a find. And so when he was able to lay that one out there, uh, it was really important. Now, none of these facts, again, are uh, come from the LDS missionaries. Another things that missionaries don't tell you is that from September 1823 to June of 1829, a six-year period... Moroni would repeatedly make visits to Joseph as his tutor. Now, in an Article 1922 of the Ensign, an LDS magazine, it's titled Joseph Smith's Tutor. This is what it says. It's impossible to determine the number of interviews Joseph had with Moroni, but 22 visits are often identified. Missionaries do not tell people that Joseph was visited 22 times by this angel and that this angel became his tutor. They just tell you that this one visit came and he revealed where the plates were and on you go. If they told them about all these recurring visits, the the story starts to get a little bit unbelievable. So they cut all that stuff out. Then it goes on and it says, Working through Joseph Smith, the Lord brought about the translation and publication of the Book of Mormon in a remarkably short time. Again, this isn't true. The Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith heard of it supposedly according to the records in 1823. It wasn't until six years later that a manuscript was produced to say this is what came from these secret golden plates I was given. Six years. There's some myth out there that everybody seems to believe that Joseph sat down and translated this thing in a matter of days. That is not the truth. He knew of this record, supposedly, in in 1823. Six years later, he produces a manuscript. He could have been working on it the whole time. Instead, they come up with this thing. He did it miraculously in this short period of time. Finally, it says, this article in the Ensign, this fast translation was possible because the Lord prepared Joseph in his formative years for his role as the prophet of the Most High. To that end, the Lord had assigned Joseph a personal tutor Named Moroni. Let's take uh, take a minute and examine some of these visits that Moroni actually or supposedly had made. All right, the first one, uh, September, we just talked about it. The angel Moroni appeared to Joseph three times that first night. This is important to occult practitioners because when a spirit visits somebody three times, that tells everybody else in the occult practicing world that. Uh, This visit was official. So three times the angel came and uh, visited him. All right. And he told Joseph about the uh, Urim and Thummim. And he warned Joseph that when the time came to obtain the plates, if he showed them to anyone not approved of the Lord, he would be destroyed. Okay. Now I want you to think logically. I have always wondered why the angel Moroni didn't tell Joseph, Joseph, keep the information about these plates secret. Please don't go and tell all your friends. Please don't let rumors go around the village and the area that you are in possession of golden plates so you can translate peaceably. Instead, he says, don't show them to anybody, but make sure everyone knows you've got them. What does that do? It creates interest. It gets people talking, and, and, and that's how it would work. But I, th- I would think the angel of the Lord would try to protect Joseph, who was constantly sought after and had to go through all kinds of trials and stuff, carrying these you know, 300-pound golden plates, running with them, and all these other uh, uh, hugely fabricated stories. Why didn't the angel just say, hey, Joseph, don't show them to people until the translation's done, and then you can show the witnesses? So those are the first three visits. Um, The fourth visit was the next day, September 23rd, 1823. We're going to stop after I tell you about this one. Joseph had to get up that morning and go out and work in the field. Uh, History shows he wasn't lazy, but he didn't like physical work. It says, exhausted, this is from the account of being up all night with the angel, Joseph Smith was told to go home. He didn't have to work. So he got out of work that day. Climbing a fence, Joseph lost all strength and fell to the ground, Moroni appeared again, recited the same things as the night before, and told him, go tell your father about this. So his father, remember, is an extremely uh, mystical, spiritual, trippy dude, right? And so he did, and his father believed the whole thing and told Joseph to go and do what the angel Moroni told him to do, which was what? To walk four miles, climb a hill, dig around, locate the stone box and open it up. Now I thought Joseph was exhausted from the night before, so exhausted he couldn't work. And so he goes and he falls out, passes out in the, middle, in the film. Oh, I can't, I can't lift another limb. I'm so dead from talking with the angel. Go tell your dad, dad, I have seen an angel. And then suddenly go and do what the angel says.
2: Yeah! Running to the Hill Kimura,
1: up the hill. Joseph didn't like work. He was just working this whole thing, and, and uh, he goes to the hill, apparently not too exhausted. Uh, and by the way, this hill is not named Kimora by the residents. It wasn't known to be Camorra until 1829 after the Book of Mormon came out. It was, it was on a farm owned by Alonzo Sanders, and it was called later Mormon Hill and the Gold Bible Hill by the locals. Uh, in 1820s, the LDS Church purchased what is now called the Hill Camorra by the LDS Church, but it was called just the Hill Camorra by Joseph Smith to give it that name. Okay, and uh, then on the, when he gets there, he comes upon the plates, and he gets, we get his fifth visit. And remember, there's 22 from the angel Moroni. We're going to go into those next week as we continue to talk about the Book of Mormon. Uh, and after we get through next week and the visits of the angel Moroni, we're going to come to the time when Joseph actually supposedly gets the plates and, and tell you how that whole process went through translation. All right, we have three callers, Mario and Murray LDS. Let's try Mario online too. Mario, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. You're on the air, Mario. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Uh, I just had a real quick question for you, Sean. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been LDS for about eight years, and I've had a lot of problems with the church, you know, and I've been watching your show for a long time, uh, and I'm really, you know, digging what you're saying and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. uh about the church you know and it start you know and i guess i i guess i got a prompting or something like that to call you today uh and just ask you you know would it would be beneficial to go to the bishop and say look you know i'd like to be excommunicated and take my name off the roll um and be like excommunicated or be validating the, the like like you say the, that phony priesthood yeah authority that they have
1: you know, Mario, there's a couple ways people choose, and it's up to you. You're, 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 you choose how to do it. Some people will go before a high, court, high council or a bishop's tribunal in order to be uh, tested for their uh, faith. But I'll tell you, when you do that, this is what happens. If the LDS tribunal finds any sin in your life, then they don't care about your complaints about facts. They've got sin in your life, they have rights to excommunicate you, and then what they can do is they can tell your entire warden stake, Mario, we've excommunicated him. So the entire ward and stake then says, any argument Mario has is lost because he's an enemy of the church because he's a sinful man. That's the game they play. When you send a letter to the LDS headquarters and say, I want my name taken off the record, they say, we are going to recommend this to the local priesthood authority. It goes down to your bishop. Your bishop then takes care of what's going to happen, and then he spreads the rumor about you being gone, and then everybody leaves you alone. They do that so that they can keep control of what is said by you in that area in which you live. The other side, some people just like to take their name off. Some people don't care, and they never do. It's it's really up to you and what your intentions are.
0: Oh, okay. All right? Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So I went through the excommunication. One, I didn't know I wouldn't go back to Mormonism. Two, I deserved to be excommunicated at this point in time in my life. I mean, it's 17 years of me searching, and I was falling apart. So I believed from my Mormon teachings, I deserved it. And three, I wanted an audience to be able to call them on their stuff. So all of that happened with mine. But uh, they, they will use that to your advantage. Go online, type my name, and you'll find everything evil about me because I was excommunicated. But you know what? There's a lot of people who are in that boat, and I want to reach to them with Jesus. So that's another reason that I think it went that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: All right, my friend. Thanks for watching. Thank you, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to go to Jeff in Salt Lake City and Amanda in Orm in a second, but I got to touch on something. Uh, we've had a couple uh, emails from... Christian people uh, telling me that my conversation with an 82-year-old man, all the emails included, your treatment of the 82-year-old man on your show who was LDS was not good. Uh, One person, Charles, wrote and said, I'm not watching anymore um, because of your treatment of him. Uh, Tonight, uh, Derek, he came into this desk, and here's a note from someone who has a show uh, from this studio a, a, a person who's had a show here for a long time, and he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a something. And he says, Sean, you need to lighten up a bit. Uh, you, were very, you were way too hot with the 82-year-old man last week. You should say sorry tonight. Uh, my thoughts to a friend and brother in Christ, writes his name, P.S., love you with a smiley face. Well, I got to tell you, Here's the thing. We have an 82-year-old man, brother, who's probably watched your show for at least seven, eight years, as long as it's been on. And he has not had his eyes opened at all as to what the heck is going on in his existence with God. That 82-year-old man called the show, and he started the show off with this. Sean, you admitted that you cheated in school. You know, that is just uh, that's something that's really terrible for you to admit and to be a man who would cheat in school and to admit it on the air. Why, I have served a mission. I have served I, I, I. And what that 82-year-old man represented was the Mormon model. And he, again, I'm not, I don't blame him. He was probably born in the church, but he somehow believed that the number of missions that, that, that he had served in his 82 year uh, on earth and that the fact that I admit that I cheated in school when I was in school and not a Christian, somehow he thought he had the superiority to, to call here and make this, this pronouncement about how great uh, being, his Mormon, uh, being in the Mormon church is. I want to tell you something. It's like a, someone who's overdosed on heroin. They are addicted to heroin and he stumbles around for, for 82 years, addicted to heroin, and he's about to OD. Are you gonna go, hey, you're 82? I really hope you're okay. I mean, try to listen to me coat this state in honey and you are going to find a state that just royals in the nice treatment you give them. The LDS Church prays off people who will say, well, I don't want to offend. Let's just be nice. And they just stomp all over you when you do it. You'll notice we don't have any people. We've made the offer come on the show to represent the LDS Church. Last week we said we will give the, the founder of Fairs a full hour alone to give every single thing he wants to clear up to the television audience about Mormonism without me interrupting they don't come on why mr. TV reverend why don't they come on because they know we will challenge them as opposed to you who won't who will not challenge see you represent the modern-day political correctness with Mormons let's be friends let's join hands let's go out and serve the poor together and just hope everything works out I care about that 82 year old man's soul I don't care if he's 92 He doesn't know the truth, and like the heroin addict, he needs to be slapped in the face and said, wake the heck up. I'm not afraid to do it because I do love him, and I do take the gospel of Jesus Christ very seriously, and I know by his attitude calling in, he doesn't know the Lord. Does that answer your question, why I talk to him so strongly? Glad you're still watching the show. All right, let's go to uh, uh, Jeff in Salt Lake City. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Is this Sean? This is. Hi, Sean. How are you tonight? I'm lovely. How are you?
3: I'm looking at your show. It's awesome, as always.
1: Well, <laughs> oh, praise God. Uh,
3: okay, I have a couple things. I want to bring up um, something about that has to do with the business of the LDS Church. But first... I want to mention that when I was in a a downtown local tavern having a couple beers with my wife and two people were sitting next to me, we had a brief conversation, and I was telling them how we're not from here, and it was an unusual situation. And a long story short, um, they were both LDS people still practicing, sitting in the bar drinking and having fun with everybody else, but the conversation basically... Um what I wanted to say was this guy, um he knew everything about the church, um maybe not as much as you, but the great thing about it was is at the end of the conversation he goes, with everything being said, the only thing I can really say about the LDS church is it's one of the greatest businesses I've ever seen in my life. Um and he was like a, a smart guy. So, um, is that how you feel about it, that it's just basically a solid hardcore business? Yeah. And they're and they're using it, you know. To sucker people in because it just appears that way to me and the way he worded it which i can't give you those exact words was an amazing thing coming from his mouth
1: yeah you know i i do think that jeff i think they have a great business model i think it continues to improve i think their apostles and general authorities are for the most part come from the corporate world or the legal world i think they're very sharp and smart men in their marketing and you see what happens is money can only get you so far what really gets you, gets you going when you're a man, and even a woman, is power. So when you, can, when you can continue to grow, and you can continue to build, and you can have power, and you're seen in a certain way, by golly, that, 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 pays, that pays everything. That paves the path for you when you're, when you're in this world. So I believe it is a, a corporate business model. I believe they are out for control political, financial, and they do it with their own members. And that's one of the things we fight against. So I think those people had a good understanding of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a
3: question I have, Sean, is, is this Thomas Monson? I saw him. I, I got on the internet and listened to him speak for his five minutes. Very soft-spoken. It's very classic of all the people that I meet here in Salt Lake. Very even-keeled, soft-spoken. It's almost robotic in a way. Yeah. What brings a man like him to that position, I don't understand what has he done in his life to achieve, you know, giant chiefhood as you might call it. How did he get there? What does he have to do?
1: He's one of the youngest apostles uh, to ever uh, be made an apostle. He's one of the youngest bishops to start off. He first a bishop, then he's stake presidency. He worked for the church. He just worked his way up. uh, And somehow uh, they would say it's direct revelation from God that caused... Uh, Thomas to move up the ladder, but the nepotism and the, the deals between uh, 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 the hierarchy is prevalent. A Mormon corporate empire. Robert, who's the author? I mean, what uh, the John John Heinerman's book, what's it called? Mormon Corporate Empire, John Heinerman, Jeff, will help explain that whole thing and how they move up the ladder. So Monson is is just one. I guess he played the game right. He's not a soft-spoken, kind man from from the people. Go ahead. He sure
3: appeared that way on the Internet. He had this very soft demeanor. But so what? What is the revelation? I mean, who who has the revelation himself or somebody else? The whole key magical revelation that says he is the one. No, no.
1: The whole key is for him to become a member of the uh, twelve apostles. You have to be in the twelve apostles, and then the senior member of the twelve apostles becomes the prophet. That's how it works. So you have to be young enough to start in the to be called as an apostle. And then it, by the time you reach your 60s, 70s, you then move into that prophethood because all the other guys have died.
3: Can he make his revelations up as he sees and dreams about? Or does he have to get those approved through those other 12 members? Or does he just get to magically dream these up he, as he, the church has progressed with new revelations that just suit the needs of the church
1: as time progresses right. on. Right. The, the, the problem is is he, they don't come up with revelation. They, they haven't had a real revelation since uh, the blacks could receive the priesthood back in 78. Oh, I think, I think uh, Gordon B. Hinckley did say that you're not supposed to get more than two piercings. Ooh. So uh, they don't really, the, the prophet doesn't really get revelations anymore. That is a misnomer. But okay. if you get a revelation like Spencer W. Kimball claimed to have gotten over blacks in the priesthood, uh, he takes it to the twelve, he, uh, the apostles, and he tells them what it is. They pray over it. They talk about it. But ultimately, it's in his hands.
3: Wow. Well, That's I, it, my friend. Thanks for I calling, love watching Jeff. You, and hey, man, I'm still going to try to come over to your church. I didn't make it Sunday, but I'm going to try to head over there this Sunday. Anytime, man. Get Thanks out.
1: for calling. Take care. Okay. Uh, we are gonna go to Amanda and Orem. Amanda, you're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Hi, is this Sean?
1: It is. How you doing?
4: Good. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well.
4: Hey, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done for me and my family. My uh, ex-boyfriend called in a while ago, and he was born again on la- on on the air. Praise God. Um, my question is, what happened to me the other day is the. Uh, the home teachers have been coming over to my house and I've been kind of dodging them and finally they caught me and brought their lovely basket of cookies and were so so nice and they came in and you know they said so do you want to be in the LDS singles ward or do you want to be in this ward where would you like us to put your papers and I kind of <laughs> I said frankly I don't care because I'm Christian I'm a member of the true church the body of Christ um, and they said, okay, so we, we respect that. So what we should do is we should send some members of the priesthood over to get your name, ta- name taken off the record. I said, well, I understand that's quite a, quite a process. They said, oh, no, it's not a process at all. And I said, okay, send them over. I want to I know how they're going to get my name taken off the record that day. Because if that's the quickest way possible, then I would love it. I just want to know what you think about that and what they're going to come tell me.
1: I think they're going to make sure that you want to leave, and then they're going to do the same thing everybody needs to do to get their names off the records. They're going to have you write a letter, you're going to waive your 30 or 60 days of uh, waiting period, and you're going to send it in to the bishop, and the bishop's going to call you or send you a letter and say it's been done. And that's the, the people coming over to you are just a way for them to try to see if they can get you to stay.
4: Oh, I know it.
1: It's a great business model. Please, don't leave shopping here. What can we do? I mean. It's a business model, just like Jeff said.
4: Amanda, thanks
1: for watching.
4: Start talking to my child and say, my three-year-old son. They say, well, he can come to church. We can teach him the truth. I said, no, I can teach him the truth.
1: Good. Open that Bible. Take that boy over okay. to a good Christian church, Amanda. You're doing great. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.
4: Thank.
1: We're going to Lawrence and Provo, second time caller. Lawrence, you're on heart of the matter.
0: Hey, how you doing, Sean?
1: Doing well. How are you?
0: I'm great, and uh, I am a Christian who has taken the Book of Mormon Challenge, as in um, actively uh, reading the Book of Mormon, and uh, gone through 1st and 2nd Nephi, and I wanted to run some things by you and get your thoughts on them. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I've uh, pretty much made myself familiar with the, well, first off, uh, you could, we could probably save time here.
1: Yeah. you
0: turn right to uh, Ephesians <laughs> chapter 6, no, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians? are oh, you're doing that. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through
1: 6. Well, Lawrence, okay. come to the, yeah, tell tell us what the point is so that the audience, they're not going to be able to get their Bibles. Just just get to the, what the point is, Lawrence, on what you've learned. Yeah,
0: yeah, I am. Um. So in going through these, i uh, found uh, numerous places, uh, Nephi having visions and teaching about the olive tree and the the Gentiles being grafted in, and the the Jews being uh broken off as the, uh, paul also teaches that in romans eleven and so uh
1: much more eloquently I might add
0: <laughs> yeah, but uh I think it's kind of funny if you read right there in, in uh ephesians three one through six what it what it said right there was uh Paul says that uh the the, the the Gentiles being grafted into into Israel, uh, to the Church, you know, whatever you want to call it, was a mystery that was not known uh, to anybody before. Mm-hmm. And him as an apostle at this time, and, you know, at, when he wrote that, he's revealing this that was not known before. Um, it wasn't known, the Old Testament, I mean, it, it might say things like, you know, Messiah was a light to the Gentiles, but nothing as far as, I mean, the Jews thought that. The Gentiles were going to become Jews. They didn't know they were going to become one person. Uh,
1: so the bottom line is, Book of Mormon wrong, Bible right.
0: It's funny, but it outright contradicts.
1: It does. It you know, you know, there's a number of spots you're going to continue to do it. Uh, hey, I appreciate the call, Lawrence. Uh, good luck with that. I would, I would just use it for, for to start your firewood and read the Bible. Uh, but uh, good luck with it, and thanks for calling. Listen. The, 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 here's the pro- people have written and said, hey, is it okay to read the Book of Mormon? We've been challenged to read the Book of Mormon. You can do what you want. You read anything. You know, If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's not gonna let you buy into that. Uh, but here's the problem with the Book of Mormon for the people who, buy, who are into the Mormon church and use it. There's a, an author, she wrote about the double bind. Here's the problem. In the Book of Mormon, Moroni asks for you to take the challenge. And it says, if you pray with a sincere heart Asking to know if this book is true. Then the, then the Lord will reveal it to you. There's a, there's, a, there's a failure on both ends of that. This is what the missionaries do. You read the book. You pray to know that it's true. You don't get the feeling. Well, then the problem is on you. Did you pray hard enough? Did you pray with real intent? I mean, did you really, really try? Well, I thought I did. Well, try harder. So you, you squint and you fast and you beat yourself over the head. Okay, 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 okay. And you come back and say, I just didn't get it. Well, you know, then there's sin in your life. You know, is there something that you've done that's not making you worthy to receive the Spirit? You see, because we have the truth, it's impossible for you to say this book is not true. So therefore, the fault for it not being true is all upon you. And this is what they do to their members. It's a double bind. You fail in both ways. The Bible never, ever, anywhere tells you to do that. This is a trick of a a circus con man. Take the book, read it, and if you can find out it's true, you pray with real intent and you'll know. That is a trick. The Lord doesn't say, hey, pray to know that the Bible's true. He says, read it, study it out, search it out. He never presents a challenge. Why does the Book of Mormon? Because it's built on these, on these uh, sinister, sinister paradigms that trap people and get gullible, good, innocent people, nice people, old, 82-year-old people trapped in a system that will lead them to hell in many cases, I'm sure. So, uh, let's go to Paul. He's LDS. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Hey, Sean. How you doing?
1: Doing well. How are you? Hey, doing good,
5: man. Um, I'm actually calling because um, for a while now I've been searching for truth and uh, been studying a lot of different aspects and have just completely embraced the Bible. And uh, something I've come across that's really hard for me to accept is, do you believe that a person has to embrace the doctrine of the Trinity in order to be saved?
1: Well. Again, that's a good question because Trinity's not in the Bible. It's a man-made word, and it came up to describe the, the, the contradiction that we have in the Bible, the apparent excuse me, apparent contradiction. Genesis, God says, "Let us make man in our own image." Okay, and then Deuteronomy says, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God is one." And throughout the Old Testament, God says, "I don't know any gods before me. I don't know any gods after me. I am God. I am one." So we have let us and we have I am one. And that right there makes our understanding of it really difficult. So uh, the way that I tell people that you will come to understand the concept of that word Trinity is by reading the word of God. You keep reading it, you keep in it, you you just read what it says, you search, you study, and you see what it says to you about it. And in, that's what I did. And in time, the constructs of three separate gods, polytheism, mono, uh, not monotheism, but uh, modalism, and all those other things will kind of clear away, and he will reveal himself. However, the mystery of it, no. I don't think any human being really understands what we call the Trinity. And so therefore, understanding it completely is not necessary to worshiping the true and living God.
2: Okay. Okay.
5: Um, Because I guess a follow-up to that is um, I've been having having a hard time really seeing a huge difference between modalism and the Trinity in terms of how God manifests himself. Yeah. Um, But I guess if I look at the Trinity, I go to myself, what is the role of the Father if Jesus is doing all things and everything's made by him, for him, by him, all this kind of stuff. I mean, what is the role that the Father is playing if I'm looking at it from a Trinity standpoint?
1: Well, the problem is the anthropomorphic view that we naturally take when it comes to trying to understand God. See, we are human, so we view him and we see men, pictures, Jesus pictures, God up in heaven on a throne, and all those things become discombobulated. Jesus became flesh, 100% man, and so he became man all God, as Colossians says, the fullness of God living within him. He did respond to the Father because the Father was, uh, uh, is still spirit, still in heaven, and Jesus became man. So it's, gonna, it's really going to be difficult for you to understand the differences between the two. But let me give you one thing that may help. Okay. It might help. There was no father-son distinctions in the Old Testament. The word father with a capital F is only used once in Isaiah. And it's in reference to the sun, which kind of plays to that modalism thought. Sure. But, but, but the, the deal is the distinction of sun only came when Jesus took on flesh. Sure. And so what we have here is one, one flame prior to Jesus coming, Jesus taking on flesh filled with that flame. The other flame still exists. Jesus returns, flame continues, the best way I can put it in human terms. But the thing that might help is John 1:1 in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God. This is the this is the point, Paul. That word word in the English is logos in the Greek and it doesn't just mean a written word. It means all of that all of God in the Old Testament. His ideas, his love, his his hopes, his, or if he has hopes, his his thoughts, his heart, all of that were communicable. They were his words. By his word, he spoke everything into existence. So Jesus is the word in the sense that he embodies all that the Father is in holy uh, attributes. And when he took on flesh and the word became flesh, we try to think of it in, 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 in terms of there's the Father, the Son, and they're separate things. No, Jesus was the word of God. And that might help some of where you're going. Okay.
5: And do you care if I just make just a follow-up comment? No, no. Um, I was talking to my father-in-law just the other day um, about the nature of God and that kind of thing. Uh, he, he's LDS, and he believes, obviously, that Jehovah was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, the God of the Old Testament was who Jesus Christ became, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And what I find interesting is if you take that position, I would just ask any Mormon LDS person to please just study Isaiah forty three, forty four. Um, if you hold that position dear, how, how can Jesus, you know, contradict himself? I mean, he clearly states that so there's no other God beside him. And I guess that's just one of the things I'd like to follow
1: up with. That's really good, Paul, because as, and as you continue to go, you're going to stumble on more and more that absolutely, not decimate, obliterate that position that Jesus was the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Hey, man, thanks for watching. We're out of time. Thanks for the call, Paul. Betty, thank you for your comment. Can't get to it. Listen, join us next week. We'll get to more of what's going on with Mormonism. Go to the Lord. Ask Him to open your eyes. Change your heart. Be born again. See you next week. You're in audience.